Good morning. My name's Carola and I'm bringing the Bible reading this morning. If you haven't already, the reading is from Daniel chapter 6. It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, We will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. So these administrators and satraps went as a group to the king and said, May King Darius live forever. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or human being during the next 30 days except to you, your majesty, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now, your majesty, issue the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius put the decree in writing. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. So they went to the king and spoke to him about his royal decree. Did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days, anyone who prays to any God or human being except to you, your majesty, would be thrown into the lion's den? Then that king answered, The decree stands in accordance with the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. Then they said to the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, your majesty, or to the decree you put in writing. He still prays three times a day. When the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. He was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. Then the men went as a group to King Darius and said to him, Remember, your majesty, that according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, no decree or edict that the king issues can be changed. So the king gave the order, and they brought Daniel, and they threw him in the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continuously, continually rescue you. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the rings of his nobles so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating and without any entertainment being brought to him and he could not sleep. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel answered, may the king live forever. 
My God sent his angel and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his, light, in his sight. Nor have I ever done any wrong before you, your majesty. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. At the king's command, the men who had falsely accused Daniel were brought in and thrown into the lion's den, along with their wives and children. And before they reached the floor of the den, the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. Then King Darius wrote to all the nations and peoples of every language in all the earth, May you prosper greatly. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel, for he is the living God and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Hi, uh, great to be with you at uh, Golden Grove. Uh, thanks for having me along. I'm here to speak a little bit about Daniel chapter 6 and just explain a little bit about how in the workplace uh, the things that we're experiencing in the culture now are affecting us, but also how uh, Daniel is a good uh, example of how we can be God's people in a workplace where it's quite hostile. And the issue came up for me a couple of weeks ago, again when I was speaking at a at church, and uh, a man came up to me who was a senior executive in a major uh, well-known company around the world, and he said to me, it doesn't matter which part of the organization you're in or how far up the food chain you are these things happen he said i have to roll out the social agenda of our church our church of our workplace and uh, many of those things around sexuality and identity issues and gender issues that i don't agree with yet they're part of the kpis of our organization that we have those embedded and they're also uh, things that go contrary to scripture and in my role there seems to be no way of getting around it he said what do i do and I suddenly realized that it's not just someone who's further down the food chain, so to speak, in a work setting that's dealing with this. It's all the way up, right to the CEO level of organizations. How do you navigate that space when you're in the firing line? I want to show you a painting that I, uh, I love by Britton Riviere. It's called Daniel in the Lion's Den. And often people today feel a little bit like Daniel in the Lion's Den in work situations like that. Now, I love this uh, painting because of the the mixture of anger and fear in the lions and the calm, uh, almost uh, gr the gravitas of Daniel himself standing there. Uh, they're not touching him. They want to, but something's holding them back. I just love that painting. And it has a lot to say in, in so many ways just about the situation people feel in today. But as I say, it's uh, which tells us that I guess the more things uh, change, the more things change, the more they stay the same. The more things change, the more they stay the same. The book of Daniel uh, op opens up these whole issues about the workplace, that you can be high up the food chain in work and be God's person in the workplace who's doing really well and something blindsides you that you have to put into place 
that is against who God is and against God's law and God's design and desire for us. Now, we know that in the workplace, as we read the New Testament, there were many people who uh, were disempowered, who were slaves, and they're told to be honourable and honest and do their work well. But as you read uh, Daniel chapter 6, Darius, the king, is setting Daniel over a whole bunch of people to rule the nation. And uh, the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom, it says in verse 3 of chapter 6, because an excellent spirit was in him. So the king identified there was something in Daniel that was different. That's because of God. But that same difference was the thing that was going to bring him down uh, because there was an agenda from among the others. Uh, They, The others who are being overlooked for these positions, they get together and they realize that they want to get rid of Daniel, but they haven't got any grounds to do it. And they say this um, in verses 4 to 5. It says they could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it is something to do with the law of his God. Unless it is something to do with the law of his God. See, see the army in that, that following God has made Daniel successful because at every stage in the book of Daniel, he follows God. He does what God wants and uh, God brings him through. And yet it's those things, that's the Achilles heel for him as well in this situation. Those who work with him know, and this is interesting, where his ultimate loyalties lie. There hasn't been a case where Daniel's had to do a big reveal uh, after 20 years in the workplace that somehow he's a Christian and he won't do that, whatever that is. What it's been is from day one, he's been that person. And when he's been like that, it's pleased his employer at one level, but it's also put him in danger. And he's in a conundrum now, isn't he? And it's the conundrum we face as well, that we we, we want to please our employer because we follow Christ and, and we want to do what's right and true and we want to be that trustworthy person in the workplace. But at the same time, uh, the very desire to please God could bring us into trouble, like it brought Daniel into trouble in these situations. And it's so interesting how that goes, that they had no, you know, they were definitely going to go and take him on the Achilles heel moment. <laughs> and it, it, it's what, what, they, what they've done is that they've got together and they've decided, how can we bring this guy down using the very thing that raises him up? And you'll notice they go to the king with a cunning plan uh, to get rid of Daniel. And uh, what do they say? The royal administrators, prefects, satraps and advisors and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or human being during the next 30 days, except to you, your majesty, shall be thrown into the lion's den. A cunning plan indeed, isn't it? Uh, Daniel is going to be flushed out by this. And what they've done, they've tapped into the king's ego. Here's how to move things forward, king. Here's how to show that you're in charge of this place. Uh, don't have anyone pray to any other God except to you because they knew what Daniel was like. They put Daniel into an impossible situation and the king signs the edict. And then what's Daniel to do? I think that's what you find in our workplaces at the moment. And as I speak to people, they say, I, I know it's coming up to wear it purple day or I know that I had to roll out a program on diversity that includes things that I don't agree with how do i do anything about that and you know that the hr of the company is watching and indeed today kpis are being written into people's uh 
you know, contracts that uh, we want to see these social agendas move forward. And the rest of the company seems to have no problem doing it. So what is Daniel to do when the king has been saying, I want you to pray to me, O nation, for 30 days, and I don't want you to pray to any other gods? What is Daniel going to do? Well, that's interesting because here's what he does do. <laughs> he kneels before the king. He kneels before the king. Uh, but here's the interesting thing about that, isn't it? Which king does he kneel before? <laughs> Look what it says. It goes on to say in Daniel chapter 6. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. Now, I want you to notice those words at the end of that verse, just as he had done before. One of the interesting things is that I think in our current context, people come into situations in workplaces where they haven't put any framework of how they're going to deal with these sort of situations. In the, They haven't got a framework together. In, in, in a sense, they've put no money in the bank. But what Daniel does is he does what he has done before. He's got a lifetime habit while he's living in Babylon that he will go to his upper room and he will open the windows towards Jerusalem, the city that's been destroyed, and he will pray to the God of his salvation. He does kneel before the king, but his reflexive move is not to kneel before King Darius in order to keep his job his or his life. His reflex action is to open the windows towards his hope, Jerusalem and the God of Jerusalem and the place where God had promised to dwell. And it's a big call. What would be the equivalent today? I guess the equivalent today would be in New York where a major uh, law company, a law firm says, you could have all this if, and the person goes, no, I'm going back to my small hometown in Arkansas (laughs) and I'm going to be, you know, going to work in a small shop there. (laughs) Daniel's true identity was not found in his job. Now, I think this is interesting that in our culture, our jobs have become a means of identity production as well as material production. As the framework of God has drifted away in our Western setting, work comes to replace it. And as Christians, we have to put things in place in our lives that dial down the identity production aspect of work. Because when it comes to the difficult situations in work like Daniel faced, uh, it's going to be very hard to do, to not sign off to the earthly king, the earthly boss, if our means and our, our identity is wrapped up in, in in our jobs. And it's so easy to do. But what Daniel does, you think about this, Jerusalem has been destroyed by Babylon. Uh, the temple's not there. It feels like this is the superpower, Babylon and the whole kingdom. Yet Daniel goes and says, my hope is in something that's despised. My hope and my identity is in something that looks small and insignificant, but I'm going to keep my hope there. And that's so important that we get that into our minds as we are involved with God's people and the church and we see what Jesus has done for us, that we follow a saviour who went to a cross. We follow a framework that people now despise. Look, I think the next 20 or 30 years is going to ramp these things up. People are going to find in workplaces that if they do put their heads above the parapet and say, actually, I'm not going down that line, 
that things will get difficult for them. We're going to have to put practices in place now that show that our identity is not grounded in our workplace. Now, there's part of who we are that work does give a certain amount of identity to, but it can't be the full, full focus. We've got to clear that up now. And I suspect, too, that over the next 30 years, we'll have to train our young people as they come into the workplace that there are going to be some jobs that they're not going to be able to do. Not because they're not capable of them, but because they'll have to sign off on things and have to uh, commit to attitudes and standards that are ungodly. And there you are with your pen hovering over the page to sign a contract. And you might have to say, no, I have to turn towards Jerusalem and open the windows and pray to where my hope actually is and not sign off and kneel before this king. Now, that's that's part of it, isn't it? That's part of the tension. In the meantime, now, if you are still uh, doing okay in your job and uh, and you're finding that you're able to navigate these things, what's the... Uh, what, what should we be doing? How should we be living our lives? Well, I guess what we want to say is that we want to make sure that uh, the mud won't stick to our life, <laughs> to us, that there's nothing in us that, uh, apart from who we are in God, that could actually be uh, pointed at and said that's the problem. And that's what you notice too, isn't it, when you read Daniel, that the, these people who didn't like Daniel, who were jealous of him, still couldn't find any ground for complaint in him. There was nothing they could pick on him uh, because of it. So in the story, it goes on to say that the king uh, tried to find, what does it say? Uh, when when the, when Daniel gets grasped up, uh, it says, with the king, when he heard these words, verse 14, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel. And he laboured till the sun went down to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, no, O king, that it is a law of the Medes and Persians that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. Even the king who said you must pray to me, and by now surely he thinks he's been snookered uh, by these people, even he's, he's, there's nothing on Daniel that can stick. And the king doesn't sleep very well the next morning, does he? <laughs> the next night. And he's restless as Daniel goes down to the lion's den and a stone's put over it. And the next morning he rushes back to see what's happened to Daniel in the midst of all of this. And, and he's been torn to death. You know, that's what he's assuming. The great irony, of course, is that uh, the very king who everyone is supposed to pray for realises that it's only God who can rescue Daniel from the lions. That's exactly what he says in verse 20. As he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? You see the point? The king couldn't do any of the things that God could do. Uh, the, the workplace promised much, but it couldn't deliver what is truly needed in this situation. The king had no power, no matter how much you prayed to him, even the king himself recognised that he had limitations. And I think that's what we've got to hold on to remembering, that our true deliverer is never the one we can see visibly before us. Our true deliverer is our king. And at some stage, the workplace will fail that, and it will fail you if you put your hopes in it. So that's why I think we, we read this and we go, we realise that the king knew he was being gamed and he really knew in his gut that what he held to wasn't as strong as to what Daniel held to. Now, there's a good news story, isn't there? Because what does it go on to say? Um, Daniel calls out to the king, may the king live forever. 
My God sent his angel and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight, nor have I ever done any wrong before you, your majesty. In other words, Daniel's saying that the mud doesn't stick. God has vindicated me. Now, I love that that whole, the way that verse is put together is very interesting as well, uh, because his primary vindication isn't the king. He doesn't say, well, I've done nothing wrong before you, O king. He said, my God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth because I was found blameless before him. And also before you, O king, I have done no harm. In other words, Daniel is very clear about uh, the uh, who's in charge. He says, it's before God, so my conscience is clear before God, and my conscience is clear before you. Well, those things flow together, don't they? That um, he, he's, he's, he's saying that I've done nothing wrong there and I've done nothing wrong here and I live in a, a life that isn't compartmentalised. I think in the workplace as Christians, it's very easy to become compartmentalised, that we live a certain way as Christians and then you get to the workplace and the standards kind of change. Uh, and I think we have to be careful about how we do that. I think we have to be careful that when we go to the workplace, we don't have a different set of standards. And Daniel is saying, I'm living a seamless life. Now, I would say as Christians, here's a good opportunity for us to spend time together praying for each other, to use church as a place not just to say, how can we bring people in here? But how do I, and this is something I think of as someone in ministry, how do I equip people in church for what life is like Monday to Friday? when they go to Babylon, whether that's work or study or family relationships. Our role is to say nothing against God. We've done nothing there, nothing against the world. And we have to be fully seamless people. Now, let me give you an example. Um, many years ago, I wasn't uh, high up in any organization, but it certainly was Babylon. I uh, worked as a public servant in uh Level one public servant in the police department in Perth in the traffic camera section. I was one of the blokes that went through film, and it was film in those days. It wasn't digital. Um, booking people for speeding. What a great job. And they um, employed a whole bunch of us one year to try and for about six months to try and get uh, ahead of the curve because so many people were speeding and the filming uh, was the, the camera film was mounting up. So they employed a whole bunch of us for about six to 12 months. And I used to uh, catch a lift to work or uh, share a ride with another Christian bloke. Now, let me tell you something about the traffic camera section. It was uh, it was Babylon. It really was. Uh, a lot of police officers end up in the traffic camera section because they're under scrutiny or they've uh, done something wrong in some other area. And there's this whole bunch of public servants and this whole bunch of police officers, and it became a bit of a party room and it became a bit of an adulterous room and it became a gossip room, and it became a place where people were put down, and it became a place where people said things they shouldn't. And one of the young women who started work at the same time as us, um, you know, she noticed the difference in my life and my mate Trevor at the time as we were driving to work and as we were sitting in the office. And Trevor and I would pray as we went into work that we would be godly. And one day she stood up in a loud voice and she was pretty brassy and loud. And she said, how come those two blokes are the only blokes in here who speak about their wives as if they love them? And there was shame in that organization. They suddenly realized through someone who wasn't even Christian that their consciences had been pricked, that the way they lived outside this place and the way they lived inside this place were completely different. 
What God wants from us is a joined up life where we're not compartmentalizing how we live. And that's hard. That's hard in this world when the pull and the draw is to uh, live a different way in the workplace, whether that's uh, a way that's seemingly bad or a way that seems to be promoting an agenda that the world thinks is great along the lines of a wear a purple day, yet we are saying no to. We have to live those kind of lives, that there's no fault in us with God or with our workplace. And that's a, that's a line to walk, I'll tell you that. So what does it really require? And I think this is, um, this is critical. It really requires courage under fire, doesn't it? Courage under fire. That we have to be able to witness to Daniel's God and our God and his goodness. And we have to um, listen to what the king says and we have to size these things up and say, thus far I will go and no further. Thus far I will go and no further. Courage under fire. Now look what the end result of that is, of that courage. The king recognises something in Daniel because this is what the king says. He says right at the end of this when, you know, he tidies things up in a way that you wouldn't do in the modern workplace. You don't just get, uh, you know, demoted or pushed one level down. If you get something wrong, you get thrown to the line yourselves. <laughs> but this is what Darius says. This is the Darius who everyone is praying to at the start of the chapter. He speaks of God, for he is the living God and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. You see, despite the agenda of his enemies, God's name gets glory. Daniel doesn't get glory. He gets uh, promoted and he becomes uh, second in charge of the kingdom under the king and his name is great. But God gets glory. Daniel's courage results in God's glory. Can I just... uh, say at this point that I I think that's a critical aspect for us to remember that there's a future glory coming that one day all kings all CEOs will bow before the king and say he is great and they will know that those who have followed that king their king the Lord Jesus in the midst of all these times at work they will acknowledge their goodness and their rightness before this king of glory and that's that that's a critical issue that Daniel ends that chapter where he goes into the ground with a stone put over the top and there's certain death and then he's taken up again and he's uh, he's given great honor and and esteem and put in charge uh, but can I just put a reality check on that for us that isn't necessarily what's going to happen to us i know of situations where people have been demoted because they stood up for jesus they didn't get the glory They didn't get the kudos that they thought they might have or perhaps they didn't think they would, but perhaps we think when reading Daniel they should have. But the point of Daniel isn't that ultimately that we are Daniel. The ultimate point is that Jesus is Daniel. Jesus is the greater Daniel. Jesus is the one who has no fault. Jesus is the one who jealous men hand over and look to entrap. Jesus is the one that's found praying and taken away and thrown into a pit in the ground after his death and the stone is rolled over and death does its darndest on him. And then one day, a couple of days later, 
the stones rolled away and he comes forth in glory, resurrected, never to to die and always to have glory and always to be in charge of God's good creation. Jesus is the greater Daniel. And so it's looking to Jesus that's going to help us in these situations to realise that there is suffering now and there could be shame for us now in the eyes of the world. But Jesus has shown us that one day there will be glory. Jesus shows us in his life that he is the greater Daniel who did nothing wrong, was killed and then rose again and now lives for us, that one day we will stand before him and we'll see our true identity. He will be the true CEO. (laughs) He'll be the true king. And do you know what he's going to say to us? Well done, good and faithful servant. Well done, good and faithful servant. There's something exciting about that, that even in the midst of the next 20 or 30 years, whatever happens, whatever happens as you go to Babylon tomorrow morning, one day you will hear, well done, good and faithful servant. It's an encouragement to us as we go into the week, and it's encouragement to us as we go into a culture in which all sorts of agendas are going to be pushed at us that are not godly. God can keep us in the midst of them. We turn our eyes to Jerusalem. We turn our eyes to the place of our hope in Jesus on the cross. And we say, one day we will hear glory. Suffer now, perhaps, glory later. And we will hear those great words, well done, good and faithful servant. Mm -hmm.